car memories as a kid, like, amen, yes. I don't know why that is, but, but like, we had, we had this, this giant of a car that was probably as long as this room. It's called an LTD, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know the LTD. Carnival Cruise Line has vessels that are smaller than these things. I'm talking about, like, they are huge, you know? And they're made out of cast iron or something, you know what I mean? Like, like it must have weighed 40,000 pounds just going down the road. But uh, it's like trucks now. You had to get them weighed to make sure they weren't ruining the road when they go down the road. But anyway, so, so I remember distinctly riding in this thing. And, you know, the seat belts, where were the seat belts? They were, like, tucked in between the seat cushions somewhere. You're like, I don't think, I don't think there's any seat belts in there. We certainly didn't use them. Uh, you know, I mean, they were somewhere in there. And I, I'm sure that they made them when they originally made the car, but we never touched them, you know. Because where was I riding? I wasn't, I wasn't worried about the seatbelt because there's no seatbelt in the back window, right? Because that's where, I was, that's where I was hanging out was up in the back window, you know? I mean, like, can you imagine right now going down the road, if you saw some kid in the back window of a car, you would call the police on them, would you not? Like, you would, you would be honking at them, like, trying to, trying to swerve at them, get them off the road. Like, hey, whoever's driving this car is apparently high because their kid is... It's in the back window, you know? Like, that is not okay. But back then, that was perfectly acceptable. Because the other place I would ride that was not necessarily in the back window was that the, the armrest that would pull down the middle of the, the front seat. You know what I'm talking about? You know that armrest? And you're sitting up there, you're perched high. I mean, like, like they can't even see through the rearview mirror because your face is right there in the way. Man, if we'd have been in a wreck, I, I would have been like a rocket from Huntsville Space and Rocket Center. I would have just, whoo, you know, right out the window. But you didn't think about that kind of stuff. Man, it wasn't no big deal. It's like, hey, my parents are good with me riding up here. It must be all right, you know. And, and you look back now and you go, what, what the heck was going on? What were we doing? What were we thinking, you know? Um, some things are more acceptable back in those times, and I got that. But at the same time, I'm like, man, what were we doing? And And... I don't know, for whatever reason, this also sticks out in my mind. Um, I don't even know if this is related to what I'm talking about, but uh, I've always wanted to tell this story. I don't know if I ever have or not, but my family was moving from Athens, Alabama to Rainbow City, Alabama, and my dad had already had a job in Gadsden, and he was working there, and we were trying to start school in Rainbow City, so we wanted to start school there, and uh, so we went ahead and moved. Even though our house was still being built, we needed to to be there, we need to be around our school so we could start school in that area um, right at the end of summertime, right? So what we did was we stayed, in, there were four people staying in a pop-up camper, okay? I don't know if you know what a pop-up camper is like, but there are cardboard boxes that are more elaborate than a pop-up camper, you know? So a pop-up camper, and, and there are four of us, me and my sister, my mom and my dad, and we're all staying there, and, and you know, it, it's, it's tight, okay? And we, we're staying there for a while. And uh, I can remember so distinctly. I don't know why this memory sticks out. but um, So we were having to cook meals in this pop-up camper, and Dad cooked a lot of stuff on the grill. But, but there was one particular time where he was cooking pork chops on the grill. Well, after he start, right after he started cooking those pork chops, um, it started raining. Now, I don't mean, I mean, it, this isn't like, okay, it was drizzling. This is like, like Noah, watch out. You know what I mean? Like, it, it is raining, you know? And there is thunder and lightning. I mean, trees are on fire around us because lightning is striking all around us. You know, it's just, you know, and the whole pop-up camper is just shaking, you know, from, from the intense lightning that's happening around. Well, <laughs> so my dad, so yeah, the good old days, yeah. 
so if you'll imagine, a pop-up camper, I don't know if you know anything about it, but it has the, the things that shoot out, the pop-up part of it that comes out, that extends out over here. Well, my dad, so that he can continue to cook the pork chops, he, he takes the grill, and he's like this, <laughs> underneath the, underneath the pop-up, the slide-out portion of the pop-up camper, and he's like trying to grill the pork chops. Well, you know, the lightning is so intense, he gets scared for a minute, and he comes in uh, out of the lightning and the rain, and he's standing there, and he's drenched, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> My mom looks at him and says, what are you doing? I said, well, Joyce, I'm trying not to die. And uh, this is what she says, I kid you not. You know, so the torrential rains, you know, I mean, like there's just water flowing across the ground, lightning striking everywhere, thunder's just shaking the camper. And she goes, these babies are hungry. I have always wanted to tell that story. Thank you for letting me do that. <laughs> These babies are hungry. And, uh, and he goes, well, Joyce, I guess I'll go outside and die. Then as he opens up <laughs> the door, anybody in this room that knows my parents, you know that what I'm saying is true. <laughs> he goes back out there, continues to cook the pork chops. Uh I had to tell you all that. So, you know, at the time, I really wasn't thinking. I was just like praying to God that dad wouldn't die. You know, I wasn't really thinking about it being a comical situation or what exactly was going on there in the whole mother, father, husband, wife dynamic. You know, I wasn't thinking about that. Now, as I look back, I'm like, man, that is hilarious. You know, Uh, life is very complicated. But you think your parents have it all figured out and you think that, that, you know, they're just, man, everything's, everything's going to work out if your parents are there. And then you realize later on, like, they were just winging it. They didn't have a clue. It was just lucky that I survived. Man, I'm, I'm lucky to still be breathing, you know what I mean? But the good news is kids are pretty resilient. So, you know, for me, I bounced back pretty easy whenever I got hurt. But, um, you know, as, as you grow, you, you begin to realize things. You'll be able to see things in a different light, in a different perspective. As you grow mature uh, spiritually, I believe your maturity grows spiritually in such a way that you begin to see things differently too. So one of those ways I can tell you that, that as I have grown in my speaking and my teaching is that I, I see things a little bit differently now than what I did at one point in time. I look back at some of my sermons and I refuse to listen to them. And like, There's no telling what kind of heresy I preached way back when. You know, like you, know you, you grow and you begin to look at things, you see things, you're like, man... I really kind of see that for what it is now. And you also, you look around you at people spiritually and you go, I really kind of see what's going on a lot of times. A lot of things that I thought were a certain way are not really that way. And then you begin to, to look around and see, man, there's, there's not many people that are really loving and striving and, and, and seeking the kingdom of God. There's really just a handful of those people. Am I right? Like, like you look around after a while and you go, Man, I thought that there was a bunch of them because there's a bunch of people that label themselves Christian, especially here in Alabama. But, but like as you, as you start to look, you're like, I don't know how many real Christians there are, though. I, I don't know how many people there that are really repentant souls. Repentant souls. People that, that have turned from their old life and have turned towards Christ and, and now they're pursuing Christ with everything that they have. I, I want you to know that that's, that's essential, Okay. I want you to understand that it's not just a prayer that you say. 
It's not just a one time I've committed my life to Christ. It's a continual turning, continual pursuit of Christ that continues day after day. It's not that I did that. It's that I'm doing that. You understand? There's a lot of people that look at their Christian lives and you say, why are you a Christian? You say, well, I did that. What do you mean you did that? You did that Christian thing? You, you got to be that, man. That, that's what it means. And it's just, it, it, does it mean that you're never going to mess up? No, it's not what it means at all, okay? Does it mean that you're never going to fall short, fail? I fall short, I fail every day. But it's a continual process of seeking after the kingdom of God instead of seeking after myself. And that's what we're talking about. Now, you read these stories that we've been talking about. We talk about heaven rejoicing. We talk about, about the, the kingdom of heaven, about God rejoicing. And we talked about that. You remember the parable of the lost sheep? We talked about that two weeks ago. And then we talked about um, the coin. And we talked about the woman sweeping the house, looking all over for the coin. We talked about the shepherd searching all over for the lost. He left the 99 to go after the one. I want you to understand something. that you, you really have to look at something here. Because in our minds we want to think, well, that's God pursuing us. That's God coming after us. But you're like, but a coin can't really repent. A coin can't really do anything. A lost sheep is kind of dumb. He's just out there in the wilderness somewhere. He can't really do anything. But the whole point is what causes heaven to rejoice? What, what causes the shepherd to go after that? What causes the woman to go after that lost coin? What, what happens? What, and and the, the key is in the last sentence of both of those. And I don't want us to miss this because it is so important. It says, in the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. And returns to God than the other 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Who repents and returns to God. So, so the searching and all of that, the, the seeking and the, the reaching out and all that happens to a sinner who has repented. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Like we want to think about God coming after us, rescuing us, all those kinds of things. But it has to be a sinner who repents. That's what causes the rejoicing that happens in heaven. I want you to know that. It says about the lost coin, it says, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So, so you look at that and you say, okay, so it's the repentance that causes the joy. It's the repentance that caused the woman to, to, to look after. To that, it, the joy, what has caused the joy? It's the sinner repenting. It's the sinner repenting. That's what caused the joy. So today, as we look at the, the third parable in this trio, we've got to talk about the, the prodigal son, right? So everybody knows this passage. Everybody has heard this. Um, everybody's heard some song that's about the prodigal son at some point in time. One of my favorite songs, and, and I'm, you know, you're like, oh, no, you're old school, but Phillips, Craig, and Dean, When God Ran, you know? I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but I, sometimes I just listen to that song and cry. So today we're going to be talking about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. It says in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, it says, to illustrate the point further. So you've got to remember that Jesus is talking to the, the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes there, and he's trying to explain to them how important it is to God when one sinner repents. You see, the glory of God is shown, is evident when a sinner repents. 
his redemptive power over that soul, somebody who has turned away from themselves and turned towards God, his ability to rescue them and grab them in the place that they are and say, you're one of mine now, you belong to me. And that's what causes heaven to rejoice. You see, all of that glory comes from God redeeming a soul, a repented soul, one that is turned away from themselves and turned towards God. So he's illustrating this to the Pharisees and the scribes because their, their whole personality, their whole way of life, their whole culture, if you will, is designed around what they have done, how they have obtained God's righteousness by the things that they have done, the way that they dress, the things that they eat, the way that they sacrifice, all of these things. That's how they identify themselves as children of God, by what they have done. Instead of giving glory to God for what he has done, they're giving glory to themselves because of what they have done. And what do we say about repentance? Repentance is turning away from self and turning to God. So, so it's about the glory going from you to the glory going to God, right? You see the difference? And the Pharisees were consumed with their own glory. They were self-righteous in that they believed that they received a relationship with God because of what they had done. And Jesus has got to show them that this is not the case. And he made them identify as a shepherd, first of all, which is the lowest of lows and the Society, and then as a woman, it's like, okay, suppose you're a woman, suppose you're a shepherd, and they have to put themselves in those shoes. Now they're having to, to put themselves in a different pair of shoes. We're going to look at that. Verse 11, he's, he says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. A younger son told his father, I want my share of my estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So, by virtue of we see in uh, the younger son, we assume that there's an older son, right? So, the older son would have, been, uh, would have received probably two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son probably about a third. But I want you to understand something about their culture in this day and this time, is that that, that would happen naturally, that would occur when the father died, right? The estate would be divided amongst the children, very much like it's done right now. But, but really, what was being said here wasn't just that, that he was saying, I want, I want my money. And notice, he, he doesn't even say that he, he wants his part of the land. He wants his part of the farm. He wants his part of this. He just wants the cash. He wants to cash out right now. And in order for that to happen, you know what he has to say to his dad? He says, says to his dad, I want you to be like you were dead. Can you imagine such words coming from a son to his father I want it to be just like you were dead, Dad. What disrespect, right? Well, I mean, can you? I mean, that would be a slap in the face to a father in this culture and in this time. I mean, that would be a slap in the face in today's culture and in today's time. So, even more so, back in Jesus's day, they had they had very much a a. a, a a passion and a zeal for doing the things of God, right? They had these commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. And, and here this son is looking at his dad and saying, I wish you were dead so I could cash out and get what's coming to me. That's not honoring his father or mother. That's, that's dishonoring them, as a matter of fact. It's a tremendous amount of dishonor. But look at what the dad does. Now, in, in this culture, I mean, like, Normally, it would have been customary. I mean, the Pharisees are probably looking at, at this situation. Jesus telling this story is probably, that son probably got a smack right to the face. 
probably a backhand as a result of, of saying that and disrespecting his father. And he would have been so justified in doing that to his son for disrespecting his father and his family in that way. His father should have just slapped him and ignored him and said, you're just ridiculous and what you're saying is ridiculous. But the father says, you know what? Okay. You can have your portion. And this speaks to the character of the father, right? Disrespected, probably feeling pretty low as a result of what has just happened. But he says, all right. It's your choice. It's what you can have. Now, we all know that this is uh, a parallel to our relationship with God. And, and, and we, we know that, that what we see here is people talking about the kingdom of God. We talk about sinners coming into the kingdom of God. And we look at ourselves right here in this passage and we say, that's us. That's us. God says, here, you want it? It's yours. You want your life to live how you want it? How, however you want to live it, it's yours. Take it. It's yours. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm just going to say, here, you, you want your portion, it's yours. You want your portion, it's yours. And that's exactly what we see the Father doing here. Because, because He is full of grace, He allows us to do what we want, right? He allows us to go and, and to do and spend. This is what we see. A few days later, His younger son packed all of his things and moved into a distant land where he wasted all of his money on wild living. So we've heard this story many times before, and, and we know that, that some of the ways that, that he had lost this money was with prostitutes, and he just said, you know what, this is, this is what I want. So not only did he ask for his money, not only did he ask for his inheritance, but then he moved away. It would have been one thing if he had said, give me my inheritance, and then I'm just going to stay here and hang out with the family. But it's obvious that he wanted to move away from the accountability of his family, right? Have you ever known anybody that wanted to do that? They're in such a hurry to get away from the accountability that exists in their family and those that surround them. They cannot wait to move off. You see that a lot, right? And I'm not knocking college kids to do this, but, but that's one of the things that causes a college kid to want to go away is because they say, you know what? I have been this person for so long around all these people. Now I want to go and be somebody else. So I've got to get away from the person that I am now so I can go and be somebody different someplace else. And they're trying to run away from who they are is what they're trying to do. And we just had a lot of graduates who graduated this past Thursday. And a lot of them, they, they've been regular in their attendance to church, mostly because their mom and dad said that they had to be. Some of them, that's not the case. not saying every one of them, but, but some of them, they're there because their parents go to church every single week, so therefore they ride in the car with them because their mom and daddy ain't going to let them just sit at home and, and watch cartoons while they're at church. That's just not going to happen. So now they, they become... They become adults. I've, got, I've gotten away from my high school career now. I've got a new, new stage in my life. So I'm going to get away from this, and I'm going to go and do my own thing and have my own life now. So I've got to get away from this life so I can go and have my own life. And what did he do? He spent his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. So 
many times when God allows us to take what He has given us, and He says, okay, you want your life, you can have it. It's yours. Take it. And we take it, and we go, and we do what we want to, and we have wild living, and we, we get away from our life, and we've got a whole new life and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, bad times come. And we start to think then, man, how good did I have it back home, you know? And it's amazing to me how you will see people, man, they're all good with how they're living, what they're doing, what they're drinking, what they're smoking. They're, they're all good with that until bad things start to happen. Then they realize that there's emptiness in that and they start saying, oh, wow, this is not what I thought it was. This is not giving me the pleasure it once gave me. It requires more now for me to get the same pleasure from it. And now bad stuff has happened and I don't know what to do. Because famine will strike your land at some point in time. Mark my words, it will happen. There will be times where you won't have what you thought you had to begin with. And it, you'll, you'll look at yourself or what you've really got and you'll be empty. It doesn't matter how far you move away. It doesn't matter if you move to the other side of the country, the other side of the world. You still will end up empty. Removing all those things out of your life, becoming a new person, you're going to go, man, I didn't realize how good I had it. The famine has struck the land and the man's hungry. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. So I want you to understand, too, that this is uh, how degrading this is for a Jewish man. To be associated with swine. Because they're unclean animals. Uh, Jewish people would have. The Israelites wouldn't have wanted to have anything to do with, with pigs. Right? So he obviously has gone to a Gentile farmer. Somebody who is not Jewish. Because they're the only ones that have been raising pigs. Right? So now the, this Jewish man. Who, who, who was connected to his father, connected to his family, has now not only disassociated himself physically, but now has disassociated himself with his heritage and with his family yeah. by going to a Gentile man and saying, I'm starving. What can I do? What, how can I earn a living? And now he says, okay, go and feed the pigs. Go feed the pigs. How low did this man have to get? To, in order to be able to say, I mean, obviously dealing with pigs is nasty, and we get that, okay? But, but because they're pigs and they're unclean animals, this would be in a disassociation from the things of God. Like, like, I'm not even wanting anything to do with God anymore because I'm willing to go and feed these pigs. Something that God has said was unclean. But it gets worse, right? The young man became so hungry that even the pods, he was feeding the pigs, looked good to him. And no one gave him anything. So not only is he feeding these unclean animals, he's so hungry, he's so destitute, he's so empty. He's gotten away from every single thing that he had. And now he, he, God gave him his own life. His father gave him his own life. said, so do what, with it what you will. Now he's looking at what they're eating, and he says, I want to be nose-to-nose -nose with the pigs down in the dirt. That's where I want to be, down in the dirt, down in the mud. That looks appealing to me now because I am so starved, so empty. 
he's looking at the pigs, and he envies the pigs. That's how you know you got to a low point in your life, when you envy the pigs. When you envy the pigs. Apparently this went on for some time, because it says when he finally came to his senses. It means there must have been a period of time where he was down there. Maybe he did eat with the pigs. Maybe he was down there feasting with the pigs, because he was so hungry. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, so he starts thinking, right? So this is what happens. You get away, and you get away from your life. You've got a new life and all that, and you know, you, you've done all these things, and then all of a sudden you start thinking, right? You start remembering. You start remembering the way that you were raised. You start remembering the things that you had. When you were in that area of accountability, says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here, I am dying of hunger. Now, I, I want you to know something. That in this day and time, uh, a servant would have had typically just enough to be able to survive, right? They wouldn't have had a, an abundance. Well, according to this man, his father gave his ser servants enough where they had an abundance. They had left over. By the way, the kingdom of God is like that. He doesn't give us just enough to survive. He gives us an abundance where there is more left over. That when he starts breaking the five loaves and the, the, the two fishes, that, that man, there's, there, there's 12 basketfuls left over. That there's an abundance. And when we talk about grace, there's an abundance there for us. That it overflows. That, that even though we may have messed up in this area, we may have done this wrong, there is grace that covers that and even goes above and beyond just enough to cover that. To feed that hunger that we have inside of us. You see, you, you would think that, that if, if God was who he is, that, that man, we would be able to lead these lives where he said, God has forgiven me. God has, has, has taken all of my sin away from me, nailed it to the cross, and it has died with his son Jesus right there on the cross. Man, I'm good. I can just live a normal life. But it goes beyond that. Jesus says, I come to give you life and give it more abundantly. So not only do you have just a sense of well-being, you have an overwhelming sense of joy as a result of what you have because God gives in abundance. The Father gives in abundance. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the nature of his Father here. That his Father gave in abundance. Verse 18, I will go home to my Father. So he starts thinking about what I'm going to do. And I'm sure his heart's heavy when he's having to say, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, both heaven and you. So he's, he's planning out what he's going to say to his dad, right? And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he says, uh, I realize that I've gone, I've done my own thing, and I've... I've run away from my family, my heritage, my culture, my accountability. I know that I've done, and done all these things. I'm just so hungry. I'm just, I'll just go back to him and say, I, I know that I can't be your son anymore, and I'm okay with that. I treated you like you were dead, and I'm okay with you treating me like your son died. But just treat me like a servant. Just, just, just give me what your servants have. I'm willing to do that. If you'll, if you'll take me back, I'll, I'll just I'll be your servant. He's processing all this in his mind about what he's going to say. So he returned to his father. 
So he returned home to his father. So he returned home to his father. So he returned home to his father. You get the difference? You get the, the change, the turn, the repentance. He returned home to his father. Away from himself, now back towards his father. There's a turning there. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, at this point in time, it would have been customary for a father who had been disgraced like this to sit there with his arms crossed. I go, there's that despicable son. There's the one that disgraced me to my face, disgraced me in front of the whole village. Everybody here knows that he left, that he took his inheritance, that he basically slapped me in the face and said, I wish you were dead, Father. It would have been customary for him to stand there and wait on his son to come and ask for forgiveness, his son to, to come and beg, whatever you can do for me, Father, whatever role I can play in your life now, I want to play that role he was a long way off. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. 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 He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I want you to know something, that this is so unlike any person that the Pharisees or the scribes ever would have known. This is so different than, than anything they could have imagined. Because a man in that day and time, especially one that had been disgraced, they don't run. They don't run at all. You see, there, there were whole uh, laws and, 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 and thing, customs around how there were a man in, in Middle Eastern times was not to run because his legs would be exposed. They wore these long robes and their legs had to be covered up, that they were not supposed to allow their legs to be shown. And here, this is a man who doesn't care about the culture, doesn't care about the way things are, and he takes off and he runs to his son, who is still a long way off. He hasn't gotten to his father yet, but his father is running to him to get where he is. He ran. He put everything else aside. You see, everybody else would have been looking at the father going, what is he doing? This man had been treated in a despicable way, and now he's running to this son who has returned home? That's the picture of grace. In the place that you're in, when you, when, you, when you stop and you return home, everybody thinks that they got to make it all the way there before the Father will embrace them. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that when you make the turn, God's already seeing you from a long way off so He can come to where you are and rescue you in the place that you're in and hug you and kiss you, saying, you're, you're mine. And the instant that He did that, he knew He knew that He was part of the family again. Here's a man who was willing to come back and be a servant to his father, to actually be one of the hired hands to his father. But the father sees him a long way off, and he runs, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. Without even saying a word, the father said that you're in my family again, that you're my son again. And he never said a word. All he did was show compassion on him and love for him and said, you know what? I saw you in the place that you're in, and you came back to me. Therefore, I ran to you and grabbed you in the place that you're in. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. 
My father didn't have to say anything in response. He said, my, my actions are going to show who you are. My actions are going to show who you are. But his father said to the servants, he didn't say anything to the son. He said this to the servants. I love that. The father shows it to everybody else who this really is. He says, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead, but now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The rejoicing in heaven began at the moment when he said, you know what? I'm coming back to my father. I'm turning from myself, going back to God. And when, I, when he did that, at that instant, heaven starts rejoicing. In the presence of God's angels, there's rejoicing. There's a party beginning. And, and we call this, this, this series, we're talking about heaven rejoicing. It calls us heaven to rejoice. It's a son coming back to the father. It's a son coming back to the father. Meanwhile, I think it's important for us to finish this. And I, I could stop right there and I could, I could, we could rejoice in what God has done, what he has shown, his character and who he is. We could rejoice right here and celebrate and get down on our face and weep before God and say, thank you for what you have done. But we might have a Pharisee who's watching or listening or inside this room and they need to hear the whole thing. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. This is the guy that, remember the father divided up the inheritance. He got two-thirds. He got two-thirds. He got his portion. And he's there at the house and he's still working. But he comes home. And he, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back. He was told, your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the older brother. The Pharisees are the ones that all they could see is what the son had done. All they could see is the fact that the, the father was rejoicing and killing the fattened calf, and he doesn't understand. And what does he have? It says exactly what he has in verse 28. The older brother was angry. He was angry. Because this sinner, the, the, the son who had gone away from his father, had now returned back to his father. And you know what? He was angry about it. He was angry about it. I hate to say this. We see this sometimes. We, and it isn't always as obvious that somebody is angry, but what we'll see is we'll see somebody who is really deep in their sin, deep in a dark place, and we'll see them turn towards God, and what do we do? We're not necessarily anger with them, angry with them, but we show doubt about whether or not they have really returned. Instead of celebrating, we just watch, it, watch them with speculation going, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they have, maybe they had not I don't know. You know what we should do? We should celebrate along with heaven. We should raise our hands and say, Glory to God, a sinner is repented and come to the kingdom of God. And we should wrap our arms around them and hug them and kiss them and say, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. You're a part of this family. You're still my brother. And let me pull you in and show you that you're one of mine. 
that you belong to this family. And we should celebrate here on earth like it is celebrated in heaven. He was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. So the father, the father comes out. The son who is full of bitterness and anger that the fact that the other son has, has, has come back into the family. It says the father came out and begged him. In that day and time, a father doesn't beg. He just commands and the sons do whatever he says. But this father is so full of grace and so full of compassion that he begs the older son. This is God, literally. I want you to see that this is God literally reaching out to the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus is talking to, saying, please hear what is being said. He's begging them. To understand the truth. He's begging them to turn away from themselves and turn towards God. To turn away from their own self-righteousness and turn towards God's righteousness. It says, he begged. But he replied, this, this is what happens though. So much bitterness. So much looking at just things from an earthly perspective. This is all he sees. All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And in all the time you never gave me a young goat for, even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son comes back after you squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted cow. All he can see is what he ain't getting. That's all he can see. He's just so full of jealousy. Isn't that the root of so many things that we have in our life? This jealousy. I wish that I had what they had, and therefore, if they're getting something that I ain't getting, then, then what's going on here? I must have been wronged. Instead of celebrating, he was so full of bitterness and anger and jealousy. That's all he saw. You see, when you turn away from yourself and you turn towards God, you stop worrying about the things that you ain't getting, and you start looking at the things that God has given. And that's all you can see is the glory of God and see how good the Father is. It's, it's so mind-blowing that so many people, they, they look at themselves and say, man, that person got saved on their deathbed and, and they got to live however they wanted to and, and, and then they're in the kingdom of heaven. And they're jealous of that. Man, I could have just lived it up and done everything and then just repented at the end of my life. No, that's the wrong way of looking at it. The right way to look at it is say, there is a sinner that repented moments before their life was taken from them. And now they're in the kingdom. Now they're part of my brotherhood, my family. Let me grab them and kiss them and rejoice because heaven has another brother in the kingdom. And the father is still loving the older son. He says in verse 31, his father looked to him, looked, said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You understand that when when the son would have asked for his inheritance and he would have gone away, taken everything that he had, then that would have been like he was dead to the family. Yeah. That, that would have been like death as far as him being part of that family. It's, all right, you're cut off. You're no longer my son. It's like, it's like my son had died at that point in time. When we 
when God gives us our life and we take it and we do what we want with it and we go and we live this rebellious life and the famine comes, the starvation comes and we're down there nose to nose in the slop with the pigs and we're looking at ourselves going, how did I get here? How did I get here? And then we come back. We come back and we make that turn towards the Father away from ourselves in the emptiness that we found ourselves in and we turn back towards the Father. All of a sudden, we're part of a kingdom. There is celebration in heaven. God's kingdom is rejoicing. And now, you're an heir to the throne. And that is reason enough to celebrate. He said, that, that's, he was dead and now he's alive again. Can you think of a more radical transformation than that? From being dead to being alive? When Lazarus went from being dead to being alive, I'm sure he was like, man, this is way different than what I was. Death to life, and because of that, there was rejoicing. And the father rejoiced, and all the people around him rejoiced. And all this one brother could think about was how he wasn't getting his fair share. All I know is this is what God's word says. What causes heaven to rejoice is a sinner who repents. What reason do we have to celebrate here on earth? A sinner who repents. What reason do we have to, to be overwhelmed by the grace of God? It's because God sees us a long way off. And he puts everything else aside and he humbles himself and he runs toward us in the place that we're in. He says, you're one of mine. And he hugs us and kisses us. And in an instant, we know that we're in his family. That we were dead, we're not dead anymore. You can be a recipient of that. You can experience that in a personal way. You can, you can actually, in your own heart and in your own mind, you can feel the love of God overwhelm you in such a way that you know you know that, that, that God is coming after you, that you have turned from yourself, that you have turned away from the things that you wanted, you desired, you had passion for, no matter what you have done to God with the life that he has given you. And you have a chance to turn and make that slow walk home. But trust me, trust me, even though you make that slow, slow walk home and you've got shame and you've got guilt and you've got all this burden on your shoulders, God sees you. He sees you in the place that you're in. He knows the, the things that you've done. See, that's the difference. The difference between this father and God is the fact that God knows every single thing that you've done. He's seen the prostitutes. He knows their names. He knows every single thing that you've done. And still, still, knowing every single thing that you've done, everything that you've done with the life that he's given you, he sees you a long ways off. And he says, that's one of mine. And he takes off running. My prayer today is that you'll repent and you'll experience the love of God like you never have before. Maybe that'll be for the first time ever and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's for the first time ever you say, you know what, God, you have it all. You're number one in my life and, and I, I want to turn from myself and turn towards you. Today you can do that and you can experience this overwhelming abundance of grace that is available for you. For some of you, you've done that. You've made that commitment. Follow Jesus. You felt him run to you. But you've done some stuff, right? You've experienced some stuff. You've kind of ran away on your own. You've kind of gotten away from the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. You, you kind of made that turn, but then you kind of made that turn back. 
Well, let me tell you this, that there's always a chance for you to turn and go back to him and he'll still run to you. He's no further than the arms reach away and you can still experience that. He hasn't left you nor forsaken you. He's always right there for you. Grab a hold of him. Grab a hold of him. Experience his grace and his compassion for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story of a loving father, this story of an amazing amount of grace that was there in abundance for this son who had chosen to walk away from his family, to walk away from his father, to treat his father like he was dead. He said, give me everything that's owed to me, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to do with it what I will. So his father gave it to him. His father said, here, take it. It's your life. You do what you want to with it. And then the son came away empty. He recognized that everything that he thought that he wanted was not what he wanted after all. What he wanted more than anything was just to be part of his family. What he needed more than anything was his father to just grab him and hug him and kiss him. His father didn't have to say any particular words. His father just had to embrace him. Lord Jesus, I know right now that there are people right now that in, in this place and they need to experience your grace. Some of them for the very first time ever. God, maybe you've spoken to them through this word and maybe it is it has just drawn them to you. God, I pray that they would respond to that. God, that they would make that turn away from themselves and turn towards you. God, I just pray that you would do a great work, that you would move in people's hearts and in their lives. God, it, it, this time belongs to you. As we celebrate your grace right now, as we celebrate you as a loving father, God, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.